You're listening to the Navigating Freedom Podcast, and I'm your host, The Real Nomad. And today, we've got a real special treat for you. We're going to drop in on Matt having a conversation with two key men that I had the honor to serve time with at San Quentin. The unique part of this story is I personally witnessed the agony, anguish, and conflict that both of these men went through. Eventually, they evolved and came full circle, growing into acceptance, admirance, and even reverence for each other. We're also so proud to be able to bring you this gift, so sit back and relax and drop in on Matt. We'll open with an interview with Raheem Thompson Vanilla. Okay, so the guy's name is Derek Holloway. And Derek and I, upon my arrival to San Quentin, Derek was already there. And uh, we eventually became friends because we lived in the same block. So a period of four, nearly five years had passed, and we had developed this friendship, you know what I mean? Kind of like-minded, both former athletes, um, you know, both um, come from the, an academic world and kind of like a little bit out of place in various parts. I think he went to school in Alabama. I went to school at Canada College in Redwood City and in Ohio State. Our lives paralleled in a lot of ways. I was was a few years older than Derek. Uh, But we both came back home. I went to the military, did my thing. He came back home for whatever reason. And um, eventually, through uh, narcotic use or what have you, got into this world of, of home invasion is what he did. At any rate, he uh, and another gentleman uh, kicked in the door of my great uncle, Brian Thompson, and they robbed him. And in the process, process of it, my uncle was shot and killed, and Derek was charged with that murder. At the time, I, I think I was in uh, dual vocational institute, we call it Tracy Prison, and I was just broke down. So I got the newspaper clippings from it, and I held on to those newspaper clippings for years and years and years all the way through level four, all the way down to when I got to San Quentin. I still had these newspaper clippings following the trial. I'm going to avenge my uncle's death, his murder. So I'm thinking my mindset was, I'm gonna hold on to this paper clipping because I won't just remember his name, that if I should run across this guy, I need to handle my business, period. You know, that, that, was, that was my upbringing, that was my belief system. Yes, hi, Matthews. And your name is Dorothy? Yes, it is. And your son is Isaiah Thompson? Uh, yeah, but you can say Isaiah Thompson Jr. Isaiah Thompson Jr. Yeah, a lot of names, because he, uh, he converted, <laughs> didn't he? And he goes by Rahim on the inside, I think. Yes, yeah, 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 I know. The way Rahim found out that his friend Derek had killed his great uncle was because his mom, Rahim's mom, sent him an article about the death over 20 years ago. He got that paper probably in 90, it wasn't even the year of 2000. I think around 1998 is when he got the, got that clipping. And then yeah. he just had it in his documents for about 15 years, it sounds like. He just like. Kept, it, kept it from year after year. And then uh, approximately December 7th, 2014 is one, one of the visits that I came down there. You know, I had some good news from, from the attorney. So me and my daughter hopped on a plane and went, you know, to, to visit with him and talk to him about what a, a, the attorney had said. The opportunity for petition for commutation comes up. 
you know, that's when he took went to his cell and started looking at all his paperwork. As I go into my folders and start to bring out all my chronos from, you know, my attaboys from, from doing good work, uh, all my jobs, all these things. I'm looking for all these certificates of completion so I can make a comp- compilation to put together a packet for a potential commutation of sentence. In the process of that, I run across my newspaper clippings that I have kept all these years. And as I read through there and I saw the name Derek Holloway, time stopped. The name on the newspaper seemed like it was just in bold and it just stood out. And I was like, fuck, I know this dude. And for that brief moment, I was just stuck. So after I gathered myself, I I immediately ran upstairs and talked to a person who was kind of like an accountability brother. We could just take a moment and just gather ourselves. And so that's what we did. After I left his cell, I went downstairs and I immediately called my mother. And at that time, uh, I had numerous uh, voicemails on my home line. One of my girlfriends from California stated that my son had actually called her and said this was one of the biggest challenges in his life. And I said, oh my God. I said, I know what what it is. I said, Mom, I'm experiencing the the toughest day uh, that I have had in prison. And her immediate response was, I said, it has to be. You ran across that boy that killed your uncle, didn't you? The man that killed his uncle, Derek, whose name was Derek Holloway. And she made me freeze, and I stopped, and I thought, and then I thought some more. (laughs) You know, and I said, don't do anything crazy. I said, just, if you see him, go the other way. And uh, he did just the opposite. He saw him the next day. (laughs) So if I may, uh, I continue. And I needed to go to go talk with the outside chaplain uh, about using their PA system for Veterans Day. And Derek was the head, he was the senior. And when I saw him, I just went into the room. Before I could ask about the PA system, I just told Chaplain Jack, I said, I need to speak with you. There's something heavy on my heart, I need to speak with you. And Derek immediately cleared the room of the other guys. If he was gonna leave too, I said, no, I need you to stay. Hi, Derek. Can you hear me? Yes. Matthew? Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing well. This is Derek Holloway. And so when, he, when I was heading out, he, he asked that I would stay. So he was like, no, nah, you know, you can stay. And I was like, okay, sure. So I stayed in. And, and so it was just the three of us in that room. He kind of sat down with the chaplain and began to tell the story. And then he um, said who he was. And so he turns to me and says, you know, Mr. Brian Thompson, who you murdered is my uncle. And I was just like flabbergasted. And I turned to Derek, who was sitting directly in front of me, and I said, Derek, it was you. And he just his, he just immediately started crying. You know, I began to weep, tears rolling down his face, and I became emotional. I got a big tennis ball in my throat. It was in that moment that I knew, I felt what he was feeling because... My crime wasn't so much different than his, in a, in a sense, except that I didn't get a body. And out of my mouth just came, I forgive you. Derek began to speak, and he basically said that he had prayed to have an opportunity to meet 
didn't want to visit them's family members so that he can tell them, you know, how remorseful and sorry he was for, you know, the irresponsible act that he committed against a man that didn't have that coming, an elderly man at that. So we began, he began to share with me who his uncle was, what his uncle meant to him. What was that like? Was it like he became a different person and you kind of had to grieve in a new way for what you had done? Absolutely. He, he humanized him for me. And he wasn't just a victim, but he was um, a, a grandfather, a beloved brother. How his uncle uh, taught him the game of baseball and shared with him about some of the old uh, baseball players. About a month later, in December, when Derek was getting ready to preach that day, and his sermon was on forgiveness. Derek said, man, I would like to give a sermon. And so me being Muslim, of course he's Christian. Derek was a minister over the regular church. My son was over the Muslims. I asked all my Muslim brothers to join me at a Christian service. When, when they saw all these Muslims coming in with with their kufis, these beers, a lot of guys wear glasses, some of them dark. That kind of gives you a different look. One not so nice. When Derek got up there and spoke, he said, the reason why I'm here is be- because I killed someone's uncle who is in this room right now. And everybody said, whoa, whoa, <laughs> like yeah, that. Like that. Mm-hmm. And then he said, and that person's name is Isaiah Thompson. When they said that, everybody said, ooh, like that. <laughs> and I said, oh, my God. So you have all these guys looking at me walk to the front. And then Derek hands me the microphone. I asked him to come up and just share the words. And as much as I am a believing person, I never quite knew 100% that I felt that I had been totally forgiven by God. Mm. But in the moment that I no longer wanted to do harm to Derek, I knew that God had put something, something on my heart. Had you seen that clipping and did you put it together? I sent the clipping because I was dating Derek's father at that time. What? And Derek, yes. And Derek's father gave me the clipping of the paper because he was so hurt the morning I was getting ready to go to work in San Francisco. Okay. Are you from a small town? I can't remember where you're all from. I was from California. I lived in, uh, at the time, I was living in my little house in Oakland. All right. Oakland is not yeah. a small town. Is this as in- incredible <laughs> of a coincidence as it sounds? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how, that's how I met his father and did not know his father just met me early that morning when I was on my way to work. And he gave me the news. He said, I said, what's wrong? 
I said, you didn't work today? He goes, no. He said, look, girl, this, and he said, girl, he said, girl, look at this. This is my son I was telling you about. They had caught him through a drop of blood. I didn't even read the clipping. I just sent it to my son like that. Next thing I know, I got a phone call. My son said, mom, do you realize who this is? And I said, no, I didn't really read it. I just wanted you to see it because I was uh, talking to the guy's uh, uh, father. And I wanted to know what you thought about that. And, and that's how that happened. Yep. Oh, wow. Sure. I know. Tell me about it. <laughs> when you're talking about a small world, it is a small world. Rahim's mom and your dad uh, briefly dated. What if like things uh, clicked and your dad ended up marrying Rahim's mom? How, how strange would that have been? Yeah, so I thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> that is a strange question, but for me, it would probably have been I, I gained a brother that was older, an older brother, because I'm the oldest and Rahim is older than I. I am, so I would have probably came to older brother. That was strange. But the impact on myself and Raheem and our our siblings together, I don't know how all that would have uh, meshed. You know, I don't know. Um, so much violence, unfortunately, happens between family members. So it's not a new thing for families to be really complicated, is it? No, it's not. Um, in fact, my... My dad shot my uncle uh, when I was in high school, so you're absolutely right. It, it is not. It is not a, a anomaly. Oh wow! Not. Was your uncle okay? Yeah. Yeah, he's okay. Yeah, he's okay. He's, he's, he's yeah, he's okay. One of my favorite uncles too. Yeah. What was yeah, that? In what? fact, that was the first murder in the Bible. Was was a brother killing a brother? Cain killing Abel. This is Derek's girlfriend, Bernice. She helped me get in touch with Derek. And Bernice, um, thank, thanks so much. Um, thanks for sure. I thank you. I think this, this is a healing for both of them. Mm -hmm. Um, especially during his ministry, you know, he's a pastor. So it kind of like set everything in place for him. And to know that this was brought up and can heal from it. Yeah, when did when did you meet Derek? Um, twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Yeah, what's it like when you think about someone with a past like that? Um, we all make mistakes as you. Um, no sin is greater than the other. So. Yeah, that's an interesting phrase I hadn't heard. No sin is greater than the other. But I think there's something I believe in it where just like sometimes the consequences just are a lot higher. Exactly, exactly. And we got to remember, too, there's a lot of people out there killing and haven't got caught. So me being in the situation, um, knowing how it feels to be a victim, and also being a survivor of a situation, almost of the sort. So, you're, so you're aware of having to go through that process of forgiveness, or have you not? Yes, my kid's father got killed in front of me in 1995, the same year. This that happened to him, which is weird, but <laughs> it's just crazy. But yeah, what did you and say? He got killed in front of me. My kid's father got killed in front of me. Um, in 1995, so 
I just had to go through the release of the person that did it. Um, I already have forgave him, but just to bring the story back up and reliving the situation and what happened that day, and I was there, pregnant, and watching my fiance get killed was like tragedy. But the God that I had in me forgave him. If it were up to you, uh, how would you have sentenced them? Do you think it was because that was 95, 2025 uh, years they got my my at the time that it happened? I was wishing death row. Let's be real. You know, that's when I was just over the edge. You know what I'm saying? But looking at this whole situation now as a grown person, as a woman, as a child of God, you know, I'm glad he got in prison and got a chance to change because he's out here now and he's a whole different person. Because mm. I had a chance to speak at his parole hearing. So I felt like if he changed, then yes, release him because everybody want to be forgiven. And and you, you did speak care. at his parole hearing and you said that? Yes, I did. That's powerful. Because everybody want to f- be forgiven. I don't care what you do. You could have stepped on someone's toe. If you <laughs> say, I'm sorry, you want to be forgiven. You know what I'm saying? Your child is the same age as all the time that this person was in prison. Uh, how, how do they think about uh, him? My son is actually in prison, and he the one introduced me to Derek. He's the pastor of San Quentin. He was like, I need you to talk to this man, mama. He's great. He like changed my life. He pushed me in the right direction. He gave he told me how to how to do every what to do every day. So it was good. You know, and I felt like, wow, somebody could change him. And if somebody can help my child, he was sent by God. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I don't know what it sounds like to you, but to me, it's like you said, my God, because I've been praying for that, you know? Well, the one thing I will say, and that's this, um, it's hard when you're afar or from your child to, uh, that's incarcerated, um, it's hard for a lot of us to get where they are as far as visiting, uh, sending money, that type of thing, because you, you don't, you, you know, if you, you, you're, you're barely making it out here, and then you have one in there that you have to send every now and then some money, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's hard. It's hard to see my son being in prison and missing all these things. For, as far as his children growing up, now grandchildren coming in. New ones, see? Oh, yeah. It's hard to see that. Yeah, I mean, it's heartbreaking. I, I really can't, is. can't imagine because... Oh, my God. <laughs> it's something else, I tell you. Because, you know, you're walking down the street and sometimes I have stopped because I thought, you know, I saw my son. I thought somebody was... It looked just like my son, and I would stop. So just little things like that, you know, kind of uh, very heartbreaking.
I was just talking, I mean, I was talking to Raheem's mom and she said that uh, she sometimes sees someone walking down the street and she'll think it's him for a moment. And that really, <laughs> really touched me. Oh, me. I know that feeling. <laughs> that, that's happened to you before? Do it. This young man, I swear, I stopped, I stopped my car. And I had to look at the baby and I had to tell him like, oh, okay. I thought you was my son, but knowing my son was in prison, but it was just the point that I seen that walk. And it was like, my baby gonna walk the street again, you know? It doesn't make a difference how old he is or whatever. He's going to walk these streets again and he's going to be a changed person and he's going to ch- help somebody else change. You know, that means a lot to a parent. And I understand that mother. I don't know her, but I would love to just let her know that, oh, baby, he's coming home. <laughs> he got to come home. <laughs> and because we pray in mothers, you know what I'm saying? He coming home. And he's going to be a changed man. And that's the part that we always want for our kids. Imagine being in prison for over 20 years. When you went in there, there were phone booths, taxis, and bicycles. Now, it's cell phones, rideshare apps, and electric scooters. The Uncuffed Project has recognized a need within our community to make those formerly incarcerated whole again by providing basic resources like help getting IDs or setting up cell phones and other aspects of everyday life. As one previously incarcerated man put it. Getting out isn't the finish line. It's the starting line. Help us help those starting over. Go to theuncuffedproject.org to support and learn more. Navigating Freedom was created by The Uncuffed Project. Its producers are Spoon Jackson, Damon Cook, with contributor producer Brian Mazza, and help from Lisa Strong. It is edited, mixed, and music done by me, Matthew Schneeman. To learn more about The Uncuffed Project and the work that they do, go to theuncuffedproject.org.